This is the Doc Psychology Podcast with Lynn Bokey, Todd Langston, and Art Ortiz. So, hey, let's go, Lynn, let's go back to what we were talking about. So you were basically saying that we're, we had, the conversation started uh, with, you know, I had a couple of people that had commented about, you know, a dog being afraid, you know, don't ignore it. They, they need you there. And th- their, their anchor of this, because these are trainers that are saying this, is that you can't reinforce um, the emotion of fear. And you were saying... Well, you can, you know, you can't reinforce the emotion of fear, but you can absolutely duplicate in infinite ways the situation that brings brings about the fear, and that can be reinforced, especially the body posture of a dog. And I'm not looking to reinforce any emotion, but I am looking to change the emotion that they're currently feeling, and that requires effort. And so anybody who says you can't reinforce uh, an emotion, so stop doing what you're doing, they're picking a specific part of the science that they have uh, studied, and they're just blasting it on uh, to us. And I have no problem with anybody doing science, zero problem. But if you're going to use some of it, you've got to allow it all. And it's a fact that you can reinforce the problem that comes up and has the fear. Absolutely. I think it stays around longer when we do that. Now, the opposite of that could be said as well to get the positive outcome as well. Because, you know, earlier when we were talking, we were talking about how you can position the body in a certain way so that they feel more confident in those situations. So I think like the physicalness, sometimes people think like, you know, may may think that I'm actually petting when I'm not, when I'm trying to relax the dog in some ways. And I think that's where a lot of times people may get confused. Uh, because our, our touch is very intentional. It's not just, oh, they're, they're, they're nervous right now. But on the flip side of that, I do see like there, there is this misunderstanding also that when, when dogs are nervous, that, that just ignoring them is, is going to solve it. Like, I'm not going to reinforce that. You know what I mean? So there's yeah. a middle ground. On dog psychology, people just take one thing and they right. for everything. When, Everything is connected or you connect everything together in a sequence to make the outcome that you're looking for. I, I see it all the time on social media, by the way. Oh, I can't, I can't pay attention to this. You can pay attention to it. Have to pay attention but, to but it. But not ignore, I wouldn't say ignore it because I'm, I'm not ignoring it. I'm actually addressing it in the way that I feel that I know I can have a, good, a better outcome with this dog. There's, and I think that's where the misunderstanding consciously comes. Choosing, you're consciously choosing something. You're consciously choosing not to do something. You're consciously choosing to not talk to the dog, to talk to the dog. It's when, just that what we know is that it is so easy to reinforce behavior. It's easier to reinforce behavior. And the mistake, I think, comes more from people doing that. So it's easier to say, hey, ignore the dog here. I mean, it's hard to separate the teaching from the nuance, you know? You also have to understand what you're ignoring. And so when I'm ignoring something, uh, I'm ignoring it by paying 100% attention to it without the dog seeing me paying any attention. It's my cheerleader effect theory. And that is that the uh, less attention, that, uh, the more attention the boys pay to the cheerleader. No, have I started talking out loud yet? The less attention the girls pay to the boys, the more attention the boys pay to the to the girls. And so when the girl or cheerleader finds that guys aren't paying attention, this is just seriously a joke. It has nothing to do with anything uh, gender wise or whatever somebody might say. 
the idea is that when the boys aren't paying attention, the cheerleader now suddenly needs to tie her shoes. And that's a position that every boy's attention will be brought to. And then the girl can go back to ignoring by paying 100% attention to their attention. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes all sense. I also want to add something that, that I think is really important. I actually learned this by watching a horse trainer one time. Uh, and he has this thing. It's, his name's Monty Roberts. You guys want to Google it. Uh, he's a horse trainer that has this thing called Join Up. And he does this thing where I sent it. Len, you sent this I, 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 you, Monty you Roberts, said, the horse whisperer. Yeah, yeah. So he does this thing in a round pin where he talks about, he narrates what's going to happen. But one of the things that I, that I really love that he said, he goes, I am fulfilling the flight in the dog. So it doesn't make them wrong for flighting, right? And so what I, in my work with the nervous dogs, uh, I'm not ignoring it, but I'm indirectly addressing it by allowing them to flight with a boundary. And then I say, all right, that's as far as you go. Now you can only move one direction. Then I let them flight again and I let them come. And the reason why I do that is because I'm introducing something that they understand, which is that flight. They want to move away from me, right? But they don't understand the, the, the forward motion towards me. Right. And so I use the leash last last episode. I said, I want to use the leash to create what I want. Right. So I, I allow it to flight, but with a boundary, so it only goes so far. Then I started letting, I let that nurture that curiosity. So when we talk about reinforcing, I want to reinforce curiosity with the nervous dog. That makes sense. Okay. Absolutely. I, I have a video up. I think I pinned it on my uh, Instagram and you should watch it. I got a lot of flack from those, those types of people so, saying the same thing. You can't, you're you got to learn helplessness. No, that's you didn't watch it. So way I do it, which is like that, I don't reinforce the flight. What I do is I, I have a, a goal in mind, what I want from the dog. And this dog that I'm talking about is a feral dog. And so it's on the extreme. So it takes a lot longer than just a regular nervous dog. And so when I put it in the position that I need it to be, whether it's to be touched by me or the leash, whatever it is, I am going to do this. That's my ultimate goal. You're allowed to say you don't like it. You're allowed to, to go away as far as you want. In the beginning, as far as you want is the boundary of the fenced in yard, whatever. Then the boundary is the length of the leash. So I allow you to escape or avoid, but I limit it. I limit the distance and the duration of it. And then I start again. So let's just say I want to touch the dog and it, like with Denali, I think I'm going to record this with Denali because I'm at that edge edge where I think I'm going to make like the biggest jump with her. And so what I do is I, she's in the crate, obviously. She doesn't want human around her. So I just reach and you see all the muscles start to vibrate and the fur and the body. And I'm like, you know, two feet away. And so as soon as she does that, I just move my hand. I move my hand away. And she looks at you like, wait a second, I thought you were going to touch me. And then when she kind of, she's fully uh, not into being touched. So when I reach again, oh, she does it. I move my hand. Now I'm getting closer. This is Goldilocks, by the way. I'm getting closer and closer. And by the time I do touch her, she might shiver a second, but then she's looking at me instead of staring at a hole in the ground that doesn't exist, right? She's more animal at that point. And I'm, I want to work with the dog part of her. And so when you have a, a a dog that goes into flight, that's the animal. You, and if you're working with a predator part of them, you, you almost can't do anything other than ride that wave and make sure everybody's safe, especially the dog, uh, until it becomes more of an animal, I mean, more of the dog, where we can then communicate and give that direction. 
the animal. I'm just keeping you safe, me safe, everybody safe, and you can. We're all safe. safe. Yeah, everybody's safe. What about you, Todd? I'm yeah. safe. <laughs> you safe, Todd? <laughs> Todd's safe. Feel safe after that hot dog or whatever it was. He jammed down his. Uh, those were taquitos that were just made. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, you should watch that video if you haven't seen it, uh, because in the end, you see this guy, and he doesn't want to be touched fully, but he creeps up to me to, to get to me. I don't have a leash or anything. After like two hours, you know, but uh, that's another topic we should talk about is threshold. But, uh, you know, it's a interpreted thing. Uh, the threshold of, a, of the mind, not the door, you know. Uh, Todd, have you ever worked? I mean, I'm sure, you, I'm sure you have, but like with those nervous, fearful, flighty dogs. Oh, yeah. And, uh, um, Lynn was actually early on when um, I had think about those two German Shepherd puppies. Yeah. you. We had a couple That's of things. And so I remember, what I remember is I was holding, I had like three or four leashes around my neck. And this dog would bite through a leash in one bite. And then I had to give another leash. And he'd bite through it in a bite. And I had to give another leash and bite through it in a bite. And that was early on. It was like three hours. And it was, you know, same thing you're talking about. It was very, very slow, very little, if you want to call it progress. I mean, it's progress. It's huge progress, but it depends on what you're visually able to see. Yeah, and most people um, able to handle seeing, seeing it. Well, yeah, it, it's, you know, the dog goes through a lot of, a lot of things that are hard. People have a hard time seeing, you know, urinating or defecating and stuff on themselves, but you were saying about the the physical positioning earlier and, oh. and you know how that those are things that can be manipulated and back to, you know into the fear which is interesting everybody's saying that you don't you can't reinforce fear you're only born with two fears everything else is learned so i don't know what these people mean by you can't reinforce it you're born with the fear of loud sounds and falling everything else is learned and i actually read they think that's the same thing for dogs we obviously know the sound in the auditory system in fear is connected but they believe their sense of imbalance also triggers the same feeling as it does in us, which is an immediate fearful reaction. That's why we go for that unstable thing with the movement. And, you know, I think that's why it's helpful for us. But yeah, that's, so the fearful thing was I was saying is I've seen, I've seen amazing things through physical manipulation. Like you put a dog on a treadmill, pull the tail out, pull it way up high, 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 walk them off and do it a few times. And then like a nervous dog suddenly runs and jumps on the treadmill. It's not that he wants to use a treadmill, but, you know, you made him feel so good on it. Yeah. It's weird how they'll seek out, like you were saying, how that dog crept up to you. They'll start to seek out the things that create the balance, even if maybe at the beginning it didn't. But they always seem to seek it out. I mean, a tool, a dog seek out the ex-dog vest, weirdly to me. It's because it's, it's familiarity now. If they've never experienced it or seen it or whatever you want to call it, they've never seen it, it might cause uh, anxiety or fear or even aggression toward that thing. But as soon as they get familiarity, this is my familiarity uh, theory, is it, you know, it removes all anxiety, confusion, everything. Oh, what, one of the things they were saying, because I said that, you can, what do you mean you can't reinforce fear? Well, you can make them more afraid of you, but you can't reinforce uh, fear. And I'm like, what? I, but it's a fine line. And okay, sure, I, I can't reinforce a, an emotion, but you can reinforce the situation and the behavior they display. Well, uh, right now people are going to go through it. I was going to do a post. Um, my wife just put up a whole bunch of Halloween decorations with like skeletons and skeleton dogs and like some weird, creepy chick that's like bending over, like, like she's like nine. hiding. Mm -hmm. 
and and blue's already kind of seen it and been kind of sketchy about it you know so i think a good post or a good we can talk about it right now is how to help people that's you know that's something that people need how to help a dog because it's easy even for dogs that are kind of stable to get nervous at some of these like weird little Halloweeny or deck Halloween times, good time to do that. Sure. Well, let me ask you something, Todd, because this is a really I, I talk about this uh, in my classes. What and 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 Lynn, what do you, why do you think? And you, I think you've mentioned this before. Why do you think? Why do dogs? Let's say the statue of a dog or whatever, and when they see it, why do you think they react to that? You asking me or Todd? A Todd. Um, I think a combination of reasons. Oftentimes, it's got a fixed stare. Um, there's, you know, the it's hard to almost dumb yourself down to a dog level at, at times as well, too, and, and say their sense of reality is very tenuous. So when they look at this thing, it's real, but it's not. You know, it's like a gutter looks like a mouth in my mind for the dog, right? So these things are like the monsters in our minds. And so it's hard for them to understand necessarily what it is. And even the most stable dog, it can't necessarily smell it. If it's a, um, At Monica's place, I do a lot of work at Monica's place, and there's a Buddha statue in the dog park. And about every other dog, maybe every third dog has a reaction to it. And it's that boop, 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 kind of, you know, a boop, boop, boop kind of shit. Like, hey, does anybody see this? Anybody see this? And they won't get close enough to get okay with it. And I think it's that survival mechanism of, you know, this doesn't make any sense. Um, it, it's looking at me, but it, it's, I, it's like I know it, but I don't. And I think that's basically what it is, Lynn. Here's, here's, here's my take on it. But Lynn, I'll let you answer because I have this thought that I want to get out. And, and, and the reason why I picked Todd intentionally is because we come from the same train of thought when we're around Caesar, right? And, and Todd, uh, Lynn, earlier you talked about what comes first, pressure, right? Yeah. So we, we always, uh, in, our, in our group, we always talk about energy comes first, energy or body language, energy, you know? So if we define the way Caesar defines energy, he says emotion times intention or plus intention, right? And so for me, the, way, the reason why I think dogs do that is because there is no emotion attached to this thing that looks lifelike, right? Yeah. And so if you've ever seen a dog, we've seen it at the ranch, Todd, when we introduce the dogs to the turtles, to the tortoise, oh, it's, yeah, a yeah. Freaking, it's a rock that has, has energy. Yeah. What, why does this rock have energy? And they, they, they do the same motion. Like they're unsure. Why does this rock have emotion in it? You know what I mean? Why does it I mean, have an intention in it? I mean, I'm sorry, energy in it. And yet, you know, the turtle does have some life. You know, we just came across one, a tortoise in the woods the other day. So I think, like, it's funny you say that because the dogs that I had were able to adjust to the tortoise quicker than they could adjust to inanimate things. Yeah. To your point. That, that also depends on a lot of things. You're at season so it's much easier for a dog to get over things quickly because the entire, if we're talking about energy, the entire... Well, the woods the other day, my own too. And we had a, we had a, we got a lot of turtles out here. So we there we when it came across a, a, a tortoise, right. and I had a client with me, and their dog was nervous of it. Hercules was apprehensive, but kind of like would get in there and take a sniff of it and move back out, as opposed to just like I'm not getting near this fucking thing. So what I was saying there is that over in at the ranch, you guys are following through because everybody's there to learn. Now, you may have been on a hike with your client and didn't have much time. So how did it end with you? You said that it ended with them still not processing yeah, it? Well, not 100%. Okay. So what would you do? I, me, and I know you do this, but we also pick and choose when we do it. And that is following through. If How you end anything 
it's the most important thing. So you want to end number everything. Number three. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. Follow through one, two, follow through or nobody believes you, but you really want to make sure that you end everything the way you'd like to begin. So if they end with something and the whole point is that rule number nine, when something's new and different, everything is new and different until there's a new uh, normal that's established. So when you don't follow through, there's no new normal. So they stay or the likelihood of them being confused about the next object or life thing is higher. So we want to work them all the way through or at least as close to the end as we possibly can so that they can process the next thing and the next thing. And the more you process things like that, Halloween, we're talking about that right now. If anybody's going to put Halloween stuff up, pull it out into the living room. Or if you're going to pull it out of the yard, bring the dog, involve them in the process. If you put it up and then bring the dog out, they're going to react. And then you could leave them in that state of mind where everything like everything new is crazy and I'm going to have to attack it or run away from it. So you want to involve them in the process. Involvement is critical. Uh, but yes, I think that uh, when they see something in the woods and we don't have time to walk them all the way through it, yeah, they're not going to fully process it. Uh, but yes. Anyway. You know, I, I have a dog. Uh, she's a little nervous dog. Uh, her name's Honey. And it's been raining here in Dallas, so the back we haven't put our turf in yet. So we have um, just like grass and mud. So we got we had a bunch of mud. So I laid out these like towels in the back, you know, the back door. So when they come in, they like run on the towels. And Honey would not come in the house because the towels were on the floor. She's like, no thanks. So I had to go grab a leash, put her on a leash, walk her in, and take her back out. Work her in and out. Just do it over and over. And then I take the leash off. She knows the routine. She goes right in. That's because we still. Honey's she's uh, uh, predisposed to that anyway, and it took a yeah. long time for us to get her to the point where she'd go in the house and out of the house without worrying about being last. And so it probably didn't take you as long with the towels this time that it would have normally because she's like, okay, I don't, I just didn't know what that was, but I know the process you're going to take me through, and I trust you. Behavior expectation drill. I expect from you that you're going to be consistent, patient and follow through because everything starts at the, with the leash on and you taking her and it stretches out. So you getting the leash and stretches out to uh, walking across the thing, the closer to the center to where you guys established your relationship, then she probably would let it go really fast. I got you dad. I know what you mean now. Okay. That's not something to worry about. We do all of the work a few times on a few things, and then we only have to do a portion of the work on the next things, because I'm not going to do anything different if they freak out about a pumpkin versus a, a squirrel or a dog or a, anything. I'm going to walk them through the same process. I'm never going to say, God, it's just a pumpkin, don't you know? And that's what humans do all the time. Or they purposely scare them so that they can get a, a viral video out of it and could possibly damage the dog's perception, you know? But you did a lot of great work with Honey, and so I, I bet she was very happy once you got the leash on her and said, let's do this. She got fed, so, you know, she was happy. Yeah. I had somebody ask about, a, they did a laser pointer with their Oh puppy. my God. Yeah, they're like, hey, my dog's chasing the, the and whimpering for the light on the phone, uh, the reflection on the phone. You know, we did a laser pointer, and my comment was, that's pretty much a hundred percent effective at creating obsessive light issues later yeah. on. I think yeah. it's almost 
1,000% of the time, you're going to end up with a dog that has almost severe yeah. like, type of obsessive light issues if you did it more than a couple of times. Well, you know anytime what? people have asked me that, anytime people have asked me or they come to me like, hey, my dog chases light, I'm like, did you ever use a laser pointer? It's always yes. Always. Yep. They're great. So, note to self, do not use a laser pointer out there if you guys are listening. These, our dogs are not cats. Yeah. They're fun with cats. And cats don't get obsessed with the light for some reason. I don't know if it's because they just hunt everything as it is. And you they're obsessed with anything that moves. So. Yeah. This thing's going to be – dude, I mean, I have a feeling this – so the that little Bob Ross um, stuffed animal thing that I have, I used it in an earlier post. We still have it laying around. And this little kitten, it's tiny. It'll grab it, and it's like like catch itsu, man. This thing rolls around and does so much shit that looks just like it's like rolling, and it will grab it by the neck, and then it'll drag it under the bed, like like a full thing. And I'm like, babe, we're gonna have to watch it. The neighbors' dogs are gonna start being drug up into trees. This thing's like a leopard. It is so violent at such a young kitten age. It's gonna be a mad. Kitten. We call it murder mitten sometimes because it's just so <laughs> so nuts. and it's like. Right. That's a instinct, you know. There, there's no violence in the cat's mind or the kitten. But though cats, with cats, they have recorded as killing for no reason other than to kill. They'll kill and not eat. Well, that doesn't mean they are killing. They're just instinctually predators. And when it moves fast, it grabs their attention, and they kill it because they got to follow through. And then they don't eat it because they're not hungry or it's death. I think they like to feel life leave the body when it's holding it in the mouth. Well, I, I do think dogs can get addicted to killing things. If they get, if they like kill it and they hold it and they feel life drain from it and they know they did the whole process. Well, I think that what they get is they get that, uh, that drain of energy that that's their exercise and they know what it feels like after they put so much effort into that. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm not uh, a scientist. I don't know if they, I don't think they can process. I want to kill for the fun of it. Um, but uh, I no. but I do think that they get in. I think they get something out of it sometimes, obviously more than just the food. No, the uh, exercise. I mean, it's a, it's a competition. Sometimes it's a, yeah. there's a, a big drain, just like a, a release, you know, well, like, that's why I got to let these dogs, my dog play so much. Like she's pretty predator. And, and, you know, I have all the, I live around all these deer and all this shit. And at the beginning, she was just nose through the woods. It's amazing that she could make it through the woods the way she could. Is there any straight line somewhere where people can't make a straight line through the woods and chase a deer down? And it was funny. She stayed at Caesars for a while, and Caesars like, "Oh, she's very predator, but I fixed it. You're welcome." And I get her back, and she's like, "Right, <laughs> fixed it." Her ranch. So context. There's a good example for people to understand. Context is a lot of things. Your kids will behave one way in front of mom, behave a different way in front of dad, and another way completely in front of mom and dad. And so Caesar fixed it uh, for him and his ranch, all the associated things. But as soon as it leaves, then it starts to rise back up. Now, if you were to fix it, which sounds like you did, and then it left and went to somebody else that fixed it, then it probably uh, would never exist again because of the repetition of opportunities to change it. If this dog went to somebody else and they went and did a walk, She'd be, she'd probably be like, she'd be like, yeah, <laughs> she'd be gone. She's, um, you know, I, I keep her fulfilled. So she, that part's gone. I do a lot. 
her and this other dog that live up the street. It's really cool. So I have a neighbor. Uh, she's a life coach, but she understands the whole energy thing. So I've worked with her a couple of times when they got their dog and had some obsessive issues. So she gets it. She understands it. So we'll, it's really cool. She does a walk a little bit earlier than I will. And we'll pass each other on the walk. And if I'm going in like towards the walk, I'll grab her dog from her and I'll just take it down because they'll run through the woods and they'll play. And if it's the opposite, she'll grab my dog from me. And she knows enough to do it. Like she's her like seven and eight year old daughters have walked my dog home blue and walked him home because she understands exactly what to do. So I trust that she can take them into play and they can go run and they can do it. But you know, I, I, under circumstances, I think if things were, you know, if you were in the city with her, it'd be one thing, but she gets it. And it's kind of cool that you can trust her to do that. So we were talking about predatory stuff and certain things you have to allow happen. And people have a lot of questions about, Hey, my dog chases this. What do we do about it? And I think understanding there's a difference between a dog that's excited about something and predatory. They're two totally different things. Just because your dog wants to chase something doesn't mean it wants to hurt it or kill it or hunt it. It's usually it is, it is part of the sequence. And the more parts of the sequence you have, the more uh, they don't necessarily understand that they, they're being built up to do this next thing, which happens to hurt. If you look at lions that uh, have not, or cheetahs or any of those uh, animals that aren't killing the little baby cow, uh, water buffaloes or whatever, they say on the show that it, they don't understand it. But to me, it seems simple. There's a sequence, a predatory sequence, and it's interrupted because the cow isn't, isn't running or the animal isn't running. It's staying right there. And so they aren't going to chase it. And why wouldn't they? Well, maybe they just ate and so they're satiated. So that part isn't there to go out and look for it. it they look confused to me as to why they're not killing it. But when your dog is chasing another dog, there's it's play is sparring sparring is practice fighting fighting is practice killing so if a dog is predatory but isn't at this moment it's because they're playing it's still the same thing just a different intention and so if your dog is chasing another one and isn't going to hurt them you should be able to see or know uh based on your own dog whether they intend to hurt them but anything can change right at the last second. If that one that's being chased doesn't feel like it wants to be chased, even for play, and he turns around and says, I don't like this. Now the other one who normally or has been predatory, but isn't at the moment, will switch immediately into that. Oh, you want to go real? Okay. And then it's on. So I just wouldn't, if you got a dog who wants, who has hurt other dogs, I just wouldn't let them chase any uh, dogs does that did that make sense to you guys or did i yeah. touch too many different no, times I, I actually have a, a question of, because um uh, not a question but just the thing that i've noticed uh, there's an instagram account that i follow and i know you follow two lens called nature is metal mm -hmm. and it basically has a bunch of predatory acts on other animals and things like that and it's really cool because you get to see like a lion in its natural state like what they do and i i find it fascinating that and not a lot of people can watch that i'm not watching because i, I just i find how animals survive fascinating like how they how they thrive and survive in, in their natural habitat like how they survive and so you know people may see that oh my god they're being murdered and this and that but that's just their natural survival that's what they were bred to do i mean that's not bred but that's what their livelihood is right that's how they live mm -hmm. and so my my i guess my statement or comment or question is that can you imagine i'm sure there are a group of people who try to stop those things from nature from happening you know, and when we talk about how the human inter intervenes or interacts with 
even with our dogs, interferes with, with certain things. And that goes back to what we started talking about earlier about how the a dog that's nervous and reinforcing the emotion and this and that, because we are intervening, we're interfering with what is happening in a way, right? But in nature, I always say how nature is perfect. There's no human intervention or interaction at that point. It's just nature doing what nature is going to do, right? So how can we, I think what I'm trying to say is that, um, is we as, as the humans or the guides of, of, of these dogs have to know the best way to, to not interfere so much emotionally, I guess you say. I want to say emotionally, but. You can't. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, you weren't done. No, go ahead. That, that's, I'm, I'm kind of stuck here right now. That's, that's, my, that's my mind. That's how it goes. It's like I get stuck sometimes, but I know where I want to go, my, my, my thought process. So help me out here. So the, uh, I'm going to start with the primal stuff and then work my way into the dogs. Uh, so when you watch uh, National Geographic or any of those, they've got a story put up for you. If you're watching lions and they kill gazelles, uh, that's a victory. But if you're watching a, a documentary on gazelles and they get away, that's a victory, right? It's a uh, point of view. But if you're watching like nature is metal where you're no narrator or anything, you're seeing what really happens. If you go on a, a safari, you can hear the people in the background as they get upset something that's happening and want to interfere, intervene. What can we do? Can we do anything? And so their trip, why they even came on the trip is beyond me if it was going to bother them that much because this is what you came to see is you're watching another animal eat and they have to kill before that they eat. It's a preparatory stage to their feeding event. They've got to catch it. And so there's multiple ways to look at it. So when we get to the dog part, how people interfere with the natural part of the dog is because they have no understanding. And more importantly, they don't want to necessarily understand because they like how they feel about things. And so they project their, that, that, that dog's being murdered or that animal's being murdered for food. No, that's your projection. If you take that out and you watch it, then you understand that now that lion or that animal gets to eat enough to then go and feed its cubs. So that specific species gets to survive another day. Wow, that's amazing, right? But we're not watching it for the murder or the blood or anything like that. Anybody focused on that, is focused on emotion the wrong way. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I don't like seeing animals cry when they're getting and being eaten alive. That's the worst. Watching the wild dogs, the hyenas eating animals alive. That is insane. But I have to go ahead and, and change that part of my brain when I'm watching what they do in their natural habitat. In the dog world, they're domesticated. Unfortunately, the humans are not required to understand the nature of a dog. And so they but are they domesticated. They're semi-domesticated predators. That's the and question they, itself, right there. I call them semi-domesticated predators, and I want to keep it's the humans' responsibility to maintain the domestication of their semi-domesticated predator. If you don't, you'll you might see more predator uh, than than you need and or want. But if we can educate everybody to the point where they understand. And part of it is they've got to want to understand. That's why these people are contacting us and, and saying you can't reinforce a, an emotion or they call it whatever they say about us. That's because they're looking at it from their point of view. And if they had to handle some of the dogs I've had to handle, 
they, they couldn't do anything with what they're currently doing because the intervention part that we have to do is we have to get to the actual dog or the, the species to then communicate and then bring them back up to a regular household that the humans ruined them on. And so the things that we kind of have to do are we're limited because it's everything's behind walls. We only have a certain amount of time. And so sometimes I got to break in and I don't want to break the spirit, but I got to break in so I can talk to that portion of your buddy, your pal that isn't your being your buddy or pal right now. It's being a predator. So don't talk to the Skippy. Stop thinking about Skippy. I, I watching these people trying to break up dog fights. They have no concept <laughs> what the dog is capable of doing, willing to do, able to handle in any kind of situation. So these little time taps or these, I'll put my finger in the butt, you know, or whatever they're doing has the intention of, I hope this works. It's not working. What else do I do? They have nothing else to do. The next thing, next thing, if something isn't working, you got to be able to move to the next, the next, the next. So yes, I am actually going to post, and I know I'm talking a little bit. I'm going to do a post and I, I didn't know my friend was videoing. Otherwise I would have had him videotape the whole thing, but he's got this very short clip of this incredibly aggressive dog that I'm dealing with that I'm, I'm on a basically a vacation. I wasn't even prepared to work with a dog and, and, uh, I'm helping it, but this dog was aggressive. So I, I did one of my, I don't think it's an alpha role. I'm just literally holding the dog still. So it can, if it were a flight animal, I'd let it drain its energy through flight. If you're going to fight, I'm going to let you drain your fight in this limited amount of space. So nobody gets hurt because what you're doing isn't acceptable. They don't get it. They don't understand. So uh, I'm going to post it up and I'm going to say neighbor catches dog trainer strangling dog. And then I'm going to, and that's the context. And then I'm going to put real context to it and see. But uh, the point is, is that if, if everybody were on in the same book, even, that what you see, yes, that's true. If it were a child or uh, something else, I think what's happening is bad. But what is happening is this is a dog that is so far on crack or something. When I say crack, I mean it's not been fulfilled, the things it needs on a daily basis. You don't put water in a plant, it dies. You can put a, a flashlight on it, it's not sunlight, it's going to die. And those are side effects and the side effects from not giving the species all parts of the species the things that are required you're going to have side effects and these side effects are so far out of nature that uh, we have to do something i'm not talking dog daddy that guy that's not the same thing don't don't that's not what we do this all right for the flash but you get what <laughs> okay. i get what I mean yes I, want, I do want to add to something we just said. And Todd, feel free to chime in and cut me off anytime. But I, I mentioned, I don't know if we actually recorded it, but we, I mentioned in the past about how I'm reading this book called The 32 Principles of Jiu-Jitsu by Henry Gracie. And one of the principles that he has is called the depletion principle. And what he's talking about is when you're in, a, in, a, in an opponent, facing an opponent in, in Jiu-Jitsu, is that you allow them to deplete their energy. So you kind of you just control the whole situation whether you're in mount or you're inside control or whatever, uh, or in a closed guard, but you're, you're allowing the opponent to, to deplete their energy. And that's one of the things that I think we all do is that's one thing that we see most is there's too much energy in the dog, right? 
And so when you just kind of deplete the energy, that's when you start to, when you, you talk about opening up the, the mind of the dog or, or, or being able to feed them information is during that time when you deplete their energy, right? And that can go with it. Just like you said, Lindy's talked about how if they're flight, let them flight so they can't flight anymore. Or if the dog that's, that's overly excited or very forward, you let them fight. And I, I've actually done that. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to share a story really quick, but I don't do, do not, I want to make it clear. That I do not want people to do what I did. Um, just because this was a completely controlled uh, situation and how I, I approached this. And I had a dog that, that, that bit a lot of people and I was working with the rescue. Um, and uh, one of the things that Lynn always talks about is don't make the wrong, don't make the dog wrong. Don't make them wrong for trying to bite you. Right. And so, uh, but this dog, if I was just near it, it would just, I mean, I wouldn't be doing anything. It would try to bite me. Um, and so I had built a decent enough relationship, but if I was in a certain way or a certain you know, position, he would always try and, 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 and bite me. And so I got him muzzle condition and got him on a muzzle and I just, I, I let him kind of go at it, go after me. And I'm, I wasn't going to do anything. I'm just going to, you know, this went on for like 30 minutes and he would just like, he would try and bite me and he would stop and he would try and bite me. And I'm just standing there. Right. And so my thought process was if, if he's throwing every punch at me, nothing's working. He's going to get depleted. But I'm also not getting angry or frustrated. I'm just like, it is what it is. It's not, not a big deal. So after 30 minutes and he's, this dog's exhausted. I took the muzzle off. That day forward, that dog really like, he allowed me to touch him. He allowed me to kind of go in and uh, uh, um, share that affection, something that he'd never been able to do. Because you earned that respect from the, the, the dog part that was out of control, uh, being more predator than it was dog. And you, you follow all, I, I, I bond through adversity all the time. And what you did was a version of bonding through adversity. You cannot have a stronger bond. Uh, people in the military, they know this. And so you cannot have a stronger bond than one that's been through adversity. And well, there's what, an interesting thing about uh, the reason men and women deal with relationships differently. It has to do with when they're young and boys are more likely to take something to the point of physical fighting. And the physical fighting, to your point, creates a bond, whereas girls take it to typically more of a verbal, emotional interaction, and it ends that way. It doesn't go all the way. And so they're left in more of a toxic kind of a toxic state. And then, so they, they will be more toxic in their relationship as boys and then into men tend to have a little bit different bond as a result of the physicality, the physical fighting. Uh, this is what Jordan Peterson talks about this and it's interesting. And it's also part of the reason why I think on certain elements, female clients will struggle with the physicality of dogs. They haven't been over time uh, conditioned in that, in that, physical competitive way even if they were in sports it might not have been physically competitive amongst another individual and i think okay. that's downplaying dogs is what that physical interaction means to them and and the power behind like you said art letting them throw everything they have but you'd be like that's it right i mean so there's there's so much uh manipulation in in the aspects that, you know, as, as you get more involved in this, you realize it's not about making the dog do something. It's about them realizing what to do, you know, and to, and it doesn't matter what it is, if it's fearful dogs or aggressive dogs. And that's, those are the small things that are missed. Everybody wants to know, what do I do? Well, sometimes you just let, don't do anything. That's what you do. 
no information or too much information is no information at all. And doing nothing is all the information or words speak or actions speak louder than words, whatever you want to throw at it. That's exactly right, Todd. I want to reinforce real quick, and it's not an emotion, but I want to reinforce what uh, Art said. We're talking about things that we do. Do not just do them, especially if you're only listening or even just seeing our faces. This is, I would almost be questioning Art about 30 minutes. That's a long time. I might've done something else, but he still knew what he was looking for. It's and the only time I've ever done that. And it's probably the, it, it was just something with this dog that I felt was going to work. And no, I, mean, I may not ever use it again. <laughs> Most people, if they duplicate it, they're, they're not doing what you're doing where you're not adding any emotion to it or any anything that looks like competition or combat and most people are like i'm i'm doing what art said and i'm not doing it. but every now and then they pull the leash or they'll push the dog off well now you started it up again so if you're not going to do anything don't do anything right so it's very difficult for people to see how to not do anything to find that that spot but it really yeah. is i mean i know there's people out there that are probably experienced enough to give give something a shot do something with little dogs let a little dog go off on you you know something that's 10 pounds 15 pounds. the worst those are the worst man. removers man finger flesh removers Dude, those are like staple bites those hurt but you yeah. know what i mean I do nobody, I'll, I'll tell you what though as i say that i remember i had um i had a couple students with me and i went and worked with this older couple and they had a chihuahua that was like really really aggressive and you know wanted to bite the world and we worked with him, and after I left, I guess a few hours after I left, he bit the woman. But right before he bit the woman, he ate cat shit out of the litter box. And the woman got the toxoplasmosis and was put in the hospital for like a week. Oh, like, no. Worked with like within hours because the dog bit her and infected her through the cat, through the cat food. So Does there the is dog a moment really where eat cat shit? I don't know, dude. I just, it was just, I, I had talked to the lady. I, the cat shit eating didn't come up in the dog biting everybody conversation. It just, they had cats and dogs well, just, love cats. I had a point of view as to why the dog bit her after you left. And, Starting it. And you, well, you said cat shit. So that, to me, that was some sort of importance, but it came out later that she got infected because of the cat shit that it ate. So that, that covers that part. But if the dog bit her right after you left, it's possible that she tried to do things you did uh, right after you left and it didn't work. And so they bit her. Is that? Of course. It's been so long. It's, when it comes to the details, I don't know. The timing as far as right after I left, could it, it was that I remember in the follow-up the next day, I think it was. Uh, no, a couple days later. So it was, I, I don't know the exact reasoning for any of it. I just remember the lady going to the hospital. I remember oh, so being what, a it wasn't right after you left. It was a couple of days. Um, I, I will, I will send out my investigator, and I, I will. I, it's important. I mean, it really I, is because a dog will. I mean, teaching a dog not to do something, and the human sees it's great. You you made progress, and they either try it excitedly, or the dog should set a threshold and doesn't want any more of this new work right now, and so it takes its frustration. That's why I asked about the cat shit. So it's displacing. I thought. Is that new? But anyway, that's just what goes on in my mind. <laughs> kind of find a different way, uh, you know. It happens, though. You know, dogs are like, I've had enough work with Uncle Todd. 
Last thing I need is mom to tell me how to do anything right now. I need a nap. And you could really trigger some bad stuff right after they went through the threshold with it, with one of us. So I was well, just curious. There's, there's what we do and then there's what we teach. I think at some point that's definitely different. At the beginning, I think people have a hard time separating that. But I definitely teach situations different than I do them because it's different things. Um, I, I think that's an important thing for people to know. I think that leads to a lot of frustrations at the beginning too. Yes. After a while, you realize, hey, you know, I know you're going to hear certain things that I say that might not necessarily be what I said, and you get used to that. You make your adjustments to that. That's a bummer, though. They get infected with the cat shit, and you know how many well, times I. That mattered that I remember. I mean, it was a little chihuahua, but I mean, it ended up doing damage in a different way, right? So it's just that the reason I remember it wasn't that it was anything consequential, is that it ended up being consequential. And even though the situation was, you know, a little dog, not a big deal type of thing. Chihuahuas have shitty teeth, too. It could have been. My tuxedo has not one single tooth in his entire head anymore. They had to remove them all. And for whatever reason, Chihuahuas, they just get the bad dental. Maybe it's put your feet in him. <laughs> maybe he's eating cat poop. You, you, right? no, no cat food. No cat. Oh, food. Actually, maybe, maybe that's why they don't have bad teeth, but they have bad bacteria in their mouth. That's a good PSA, real quick. If your dog is eating cat shit, are you using the clumping uh, litter? Because if you do, yeah, be very careful. They don't get all that litter in there and clump up inside the, the uh, track. And then nothing can pass after that. So just be careful. Dude, I had two funny cases on that. So one time I thought a dog that I had had bloat. He was he was doing some like dry heat vomiting. He was all he, like his stomach was real bloated. And it was it was sketchy. So we rushed him to the vet. They pop an x-ray off. The dog's fucking completely constipated from front to tail. <laughs> so they, yeah. They spur like the biggest gigantic shit there was, and it and it helps relieve it. And then another time is we were making. If you ever homemade pizzas, you put yeast in, you do your own yeast, and you make your own dough and stuff. And we had a batch that didn't rise, that didn't work right, so we threw oh, no. it. In. And we went and we left, and we did went in somewhere. And we came back, and one of our dogs has gotten in and ate it. And we're like, holy shit. So we have to rush to the vet. We're like, is this thing going to rise in their fucking stomach? Are they going to be blowing like pizza dough out of their mouth? Oh, and man. They, no, no. No dice on that. I'm trying to think of a dad joke with that one. And I just couldn't come up with it. It was I the perfect you- oven. Paul Peroni. Was it a Paul Peroni pizza? Oh, Paul Peroni. <laughs> I remember early, early on, I had a client whose dog, uh, sw- they didn't know it for a week. Swallowed a full, it was a German Shepherd, full size Kong toy. And the reason they didn't know it for a while is because it's got a hole on either side so the shit could pass through it. And then at some point it got impacted and then you started to see effects in the dog and they, they had to remove it. I'm amazed. That's probably, I, I would be curious if we had a vet to talk to, if that's not the most common surgery that's done outside of like, you know, a cancer or a disease type of surgery, if it's removal of blockages. Well, they're lucky that there was a hole in that con because there's a whole new thing now that balls need to have a hole in it because when they swallow them and they don't have a hole, it's the most dangerous part. Larry Crone had a video on that. He actually had it where he had a, he was filming his dog. He was working his dog and he had like a, a rope attached to this ball that had a hole in it. 
and he thought that something had happened, but he, he was able to breathe because it had the hole in the ball. No so, shit. Yeah. Dang, you got to make sure your balls have holes in them. Um, but yes, well, that's... You know, Dude, we were, at, I was at a rescue, that same rescue with the lady that's giving us, that was talking to us about the podcast on a big, big dog ranch. And we were working with the dog and, and something was off. You know, you can put your finger on it. Something was off. Unfortunately, they have a, a, a vet's office on site and they took it in. The spleen had ruptured. Oh, yeah. A couple hours off, the dog would have died. And so that's I think the worst. it's the most painful organ there, the spleen. That causes it's a lot. Side. It, it's weird. It's, you know, but the thing is to be able to see and understand like what's normal, what's not, when they're on, when they're off, even if it's not your dog, there's things that over the years I've helped owners catch all kinds of different medical conditions from an impacted tooth to problems with hips to problems with um, eyesight and all different types of things. Just because you can see that behaviorally speaking, they're a little bit in a, something's not right, you know? I got that one video, I, I think I told you guys about it, where I'm at a rescue helping. This dog's aggressive. It bites everybody that pets him. We got we to gotta be able to adopt her out. Uh, well, I walk in there and I start reaching. Oh, my God, this dog's in pain. So it, the entire consultation was to teach them how to recognize pain signals from the dog when you're touching it. It'll tell you exactly. But you got to slow down. And that worries me a lot when people are doing all kinds of corrections on dogs and we don't mm-hmm. know if it's injured and why they're being aggressive is maybe because of the pain. Right. right. Well, that yeah. process, process in the brain. So it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting thing for humans. Like, cause we're going to project it onto them and pain is very emotional. It's, you know, the actual physical part of pain is very, to me, it's kind of minor, like pain don't hurt. So to, I, you got dogs to me, they're never feeling pain. Like we do. It's like you said, you have to see how they express it. Yeah. The way they move or the way that they look at something or the way that there's something to it. And they'll tell you. Yeah. Like, I put my mouth, my jaw, on your chin, on your arm. I want you to know that I've got a chainsaw just about a half an inch above that. And if you touch me there again, uh, I'm going to open my mouth. They give us so much uh, information that we ignore. Um, mainly because we just don't know. People don't know. They don't have that information. And uh, it's difficult. Yeah, they've got, they're very stoic about pain. I think Hugh had, I, I think when he died, uh, he was in some pain long before he died. And he just wasn't expressing it to me in, in the way that you would normally see uh, pain. I mean, and then, of course, I, I feel guilty, but he, it just was one of those things. And he's a pit bull, so you know that they can, they can take even take more. Yeah. And uh, most dogs, even I think even Tuxedo, he's just a tiny little chihuahua. He, he might be, he's old, so I think he gets some, some physical aches and pains, but he'll let me know right away. But he won't bite. He'll just he'll open his mouth and make a lot of noise. I'm like, okay, I'll go slower, you know. And, and they all should be allowed to express themselves, especially if you don't know what's going on. Let them express themselves and work from there, not take it personally. You know, it's very hard not to take it personally, especially if you don't understand the dogs. But they do things all the time to talk to us. And uh, we just need to listen. Pain is a big one. I would first look at that next time your dog is doing something aggressive to you when it hasn't before. 
Somebody asked me that about their dog was grabbing their tail and spinning, and their vet immediately wanted to medicate them. This was a mm. question I got, and they said, what do you think? And I said, well, that can sometimes be a pain issue. You know, sometimes you can have a nerve-related feeling, in my opinion, or nerve-related feeling or some type of pain, and they start grabbing it. And this is something, too, that's interesting. Like, I'm always trying to say, okay, what would this be like in the with a human but in the absence of? So there's certain things that we like in pain. Like, humans almost like certain aspects of pain. You get something in your mouth and you it hurts or you get something you scratch it and you keep scratching it and then it kind of feels good and then it kind of feels good. But we know enough to stop, you know, and they don't. They, they don't know enough. So it's interesting, like, why they'll continue on doing something just because they're getting that immediate sense of relief. And so, like, if your dog's doing something obsessive like that on an area, my first thought's going to be that could, that could be a pain-related issue. Um, but think back in our like, early days, we didn't think that stuff. We didn't think that stuff right out no, of the gate. No way. Right away. In your first three years, you're going to correct anything that doesn't fit. And, you know, that's... Obviously, you can go there. I mean, if there's an obsessive behavior that's related into that, at some point, you might need to do that. But let's explore some other things first. Well, that one right there that you're talking about, I had a, a dog I worked with for a long time that uh, from this rescue out here is paralyzed uh, husky. And oh, I remember this one. At some point, they ultimately had to put her down because she was destroying one of her back legs that she couldn't use. And so I just do my thing and I try to put it next to something that makes sense. And it, it was like a phantom limb, but a human phantom limb, you know, they, they're not going to just destroy themselves. They're going to go find medication or what have you. But the dog was so confused by whatever nerves were firing and not firing that she thought that the leg was attacking or whatever she would destroy it. And they couldn't wrap it because it needed to breathe. And so it would get worse. They couldn't keep her. It, it was just a, a nightmare. It just got worse and worse and worse. And so same thing with the tail. Maybe there was something going on. And the tail now is like uh, some sort of threat to the dog. And so it wants to grab hold of it and get rid of it. I've had a dog chase their phantom tail. And the dog, the um, dog's uh, tail got amputated. And it was, even though it was gone, I think the pain was still kind of there, obviously. And it would start to chase its non-existing tail. Sometimes pain, they just, they think something's causing it, even yeah. though it's just pain internally or underneath and they'll grab it thinking that that's the thing and, and, uh, and destroy it. So what you were saying, Todd, there, they won't stop, uh, the way I I've seen it, let's say a dog who's got, uh, allergic to grass and that their paws are raw because they chewed them. What happens is they'll chew and lick and chew and lick, and then they'll get exhausted from that chewing and licking and go to sleep or stop and everything dries. And so then the saliva starts to itch again and then they'll start up that thing that you talked about and they'll go and go <laughs> and they get exhausted and they'll go sleep and they wake up, it starts over and they have no concept of this is something that needs to be treated so it doesn't keep happening. And that's to your point that they just keep doing it. They don't have a clue, but most humans have the same thing with chewing their nails. That's basically self-mutilation. There, I, I couldn't get my nails down That's, that level really fast because they've chewed it down over years. There's no, no more nerves there, right? You cut your, your fingernail down real close to the quick and it's going to hurt, but these people chew it all the way down almost to, the, to where the finger begins and there's no nail. It's crazy, but it is a form of self-mutilation. Well, awesome. 
Guys, we're at the end of our uh, podcast here. Oh, what uh, a way to end it, right? <laughs> self-mutilation. Hey. Todd, you got any Good. closing thoughts? Don't self-mutilate. No. <laughs> No need to. Uh, well, you have to. You have to simplify things. You have to take. You have to take. And this is the hard part. You have to take yourself out of it. You have to take your complexity out of it. We're talking about this most sim simple reactions in life: pain and fear. And we we add these complex emotions to it. And as soon as you do that, you're going to make complex choices and do complex things when you really don't need to, and it usually makes things worse. So, you know, we always say honor the dog. And that's, I really think what it means is you have to simplify yourself to be able to think like them. That's my final thought. At least look at how they think before you translate whatever's happening, how you think, yeah. and then uh, go from there. But yes, it's very important to at least look up. <laughs> define and I think also not being afraid to fail is another thing. Just try, you know, that's, that's what you're going to find out what works best for your dog. Just go well, Going your, he's your best teacher, so it's okay to fail. You, you know, the, the trillions and trillions and trillions of mistakes that have been made from our ancestors for us to be able to have steak all nearly raw and understand the difference between sushi, ocean fish, and catfish. You got to cook and pork all the way through, and chick those are mistakes that other generations made for us. What does so, eating this mushroom do? Oh wow! I guess we <laughs> yeah. do that again. Oh. <laughs> what do we smoke this grass? What does it do? I'll yeah. tell you. Yes. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. But it's literally grass from my backyard, so you got to be careful. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> you great guys, episode. great evening or day or whatever you're doing tonight. You're all, all right. dressed up. See you all guys right. later. Have a good one. Good night. Later. Bye.